Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for a beautiful and amazing day, allowing the sunshine to come out and, and um, warm up a little bit for us. I pray now that as we spend some time talking about insurance, that um, I'm, I'm able to convey the message uh, adequately and that it is well received. And I ask these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So, good afternoon. I'm sure you already know by now, but I will still introduce myself. My name is Hunter Pettis. I'm the account executive for uh, both the Lake Union as well as Atlantic Union, but more specifically for this class, Michigan Conference. Um, today, as you know, we're going to be talking about Insurance 101. I'll try to go through the basics, but of course, if you guys, since it's such a, a large class, if you, if you have any questions, feel free to ask, feel free to stop me. Um, I prefer the smaller groups anyway. It allows for us to have that dialogue a little bit. So um, we'll walk through it step by step. But as you know, at Venice Risk Management, we're headquartered in Silver Spring office. Um, we actually are all around the world. We have offices in Brazil as well as London. Um, and our overall goal is to protect the ministry of the church. Um, and as best we do that, we try to provide the risk management solutions as well as insurance. Um, so basically we try to encourage that uh, as a, as a leader, that you realize that, it, that we all have a duty to protect, whether we're a held, held head elder, a pastor, Sabbath school leader, or just a member in the congregation, we do have some level of responsibility to protect, whether it is the property itself or those individuals around us. So there are some elements that I'll talk about in terms of care, custody, and control. When you have something that is left in your care and your custody and your control. Because ultimately we represent something that's much larger than ourselves. Would you agree? So it's all about, it always boils down to being good stewards. So, so far, those of you who um, had the privilege of joining me earlier in the week, we talked, we discussed a little bit about risk identification, which is pretty much analyzing the risk, understanding where the hazards lie. Um, you know, I, I shared a story earlier in the week where <clears throat> um, there was uh, an individual who broke into a church and uh, the church just so happened to have one of their fire exits blocked with storage. And it turns out that the church ended up being held negligent for that person's death because of that exit being blocked. And ultimately there was a payout to the family um, on, that be on their behalf. Um, and it's little things like that, recognizing that no matter what the situation, not having the, your exits blocked or at least having your exit signs illuminated, even having like here how we have on the door an emergency evacuation plan, so knowing where the nearest exit is. This building, I mean, it's a little bit more wide open, so you know, hey, there's a door here, there's a door on the other side, there's a door down this hallway, so you kind of know. Uh, worst case scenario, you can even probably, I don't know how how wide open those windows open, but you may be able to, to crawl through there as well. Um, but it ultimately boils down to recognizing, not just coming to, to church, whether you're the safety officer or the held elder, but kind of paying attention to your surroundings. So if you have a loose handrail, you have an outlet cover that's missing, um, that's just analyzing and being aware of the hazards that you might have. And of course, having a way to prevent those and control those and minimize those um, and to avoid them. Um, but more importantly, what we're here to talk about today is how do we ensure it when we've done all we can. We've uh, identified all the risks, we've come up with a risk management plan, we've 
plan for emergencies. Uh, but just like how you were sharing with your church, sometimes accidents happen. And we, we didn't think that it was going to come. We didn't realize that it was um, on its way. You know, sometimes it could be as simple as, uh, as we like to call it, acts of God. So, you know, you have a tornado, you have a blizzard. It ultimately uh, largely affects your building. So one thing that I really want to touch on a little bit is what, what uh, the loss ratio looks like for the North American division as a whole. Okay, these numbers may not mean anything to you right now, but I guarantee you in a second, I'll explain exactly what they are. So in the insurance industry, there are um, there is the insurance carrier, and then there is reinsurance. The easiest way to think of a reinsurance carrier is an insurance for the insurance company. Um, so when the insurance companies have paid out as much as they possibly can, there is an outside insurance carrier that, um, for lack of better words, um, has a larger sum of money that or capital that will help offset some of the expenses that, in this case, ARM would have to spend for losses. Mainly for catastrophic things. Primarily for catastrophic. Um, yes, primarily for catastrophic. So the North American division as a whole, um, over the past few years, we've really been trying to set out and have risk management initiatives because for us as an organization, North American division, ARM included, um, our loss ratio has been astronomical. Um, and these figures show that. And so in 2016, what that loss ratio essentially looked like was 500%. What does 500% equate to? That means for every dollar that I give you, John, you have to pay me $5. Can you stay in business that long doing that? For every dollar, it's $5 in return. And that, that number went up um, again in 2017. So for every dollar that we paid collectively, ARM included, um, in premium, $6.50 our reinsurers had to pay to um, supplement our losses. It's hard. It har it's very, very difficult. Um, we do recognize, again, that some of these instances are inevitable. You know, fires are very hard to control, virtually impossible to predict, um, unless you have an arson on your hands. Uh, tornadoes, virtually impossible to, to just pick your building up and bury it underground so that the tornado doesn't hit it and then re-erect it when the tornado's gone. Those situations are very difficult to deal with. But what I'd like to share with you is that the, the primary types of losses that attributed to these believe it or not, have nothing to do with those fires or uh, natural acts. It actually falls under unqualified supervision is one of them. What does that mean? Uh, we're going rock climbing. I've never been rock climbing, but it's somehow I'm the instructor for everybody. We're going swimming. I'm not the greatest swimmer, but somehow I'm chaperoning for the kids who may have a higher chance of drowning than I do. Why would we do that? So just taking that time to um, 
uh, have that have that conversation, making sure that everyone, or if if it's not every single chaperone, that there is enough people present to be able to properly supervise it. Fifteen passenger vans. I know that's everybody's favorite. Every time you hear fifteen passenger vans, but it has been. Unfortunately and sadly to say, it has been one of the greatest losses within our church. Um, as many times as we try to preach and ram it into the ground and bring out our heavy-duty paddles and say, hey, don't do it, somehow, some way, even today, well, not literally today, but um, even now there, there are instances where I will go out to a conference and I still see 15-passenger vans. Um, I explained earlier, and for the benefit of you, I'll, I'll, um, I'll explain a little bit further in detail why 15-passenger vans um, are so deadly, essentially. And I don't know, I'm not assuming that you don't know, but I'm just saying for the sake of the class, 15-passenger uh, vans at a very basic level, you know, you have your 15-passenger vans, most of the time when you get in a 15-passenger van, the majority of the, the passengers that are in the back are towards the left side of the build, the vehicle. Already creates a, a bit of an imbalance. A lot of times, for the 15-passenger van, you are above the max capacity load. So you have supposedly 15 people in the vehicle, but a lot of times it might be 17, 18, maybe even 20. You know, you have smaller kids, you try to pile them all in there. You have heavier people, whatever the case may be, it, it offsets the load. Exactly. Exactly, and that's a, another great point. Say that one more time. The new law sprinkler. Is it? Is it? Well, and I'll and I'll touch on that and just as I kind of go through and explain. So, um, yeah. So you have, as you mentioned, higher center of gravity. Higher center of gravity. The weight distribution is very. Um, a lot more likely to tip over. Also, with 15 passenger vans, a lot of times those passengers are sitting in the back. They don't, they're not wearing seat belts, they're just not. Um, and then there, there's not a reinforced ceiling structure. So if your van has uh, improperly wearing the tires, it's tipping over, you're, you're talking about everybody is in there is getting crushed. Now, North American Division has gone as far as to update their policy and say, um, churches should not use rent, lease, use 15 passenger vans under any circumstances. However, in stating that, uh, they say that alternatives are mini minivans, SUVs, mini buses, and then, which almost sounds like a contradictory statement, 15 passenger vans with the dual rear wheels. Um, so why even bother saying, well, you can still use this type of 15-passenger van um, as opposed to your traditional, as we, we typically remember as the, the Ford 15-passenger van. Um, <clears throat> it hasn't been conclusive, but it seems so that the dual rear wheels and the reinforced ceiling structure provides a little bit more stability. Sprinter vans, I think, almost fall, not all of them, but a few fall in that classification. Um, some Sprinter vans even have that middle aisle as opposed to um, one side. Um, but overall, 
as we went through and did more research about it, it also boils down to the wheelbase of the vehicle. So if it's exceeding 135 inches, then it's not properly distributed. And in some instances, you could see that in a 12 passenger van um, or even less. So it's important to keep those things in mind. But not to continue to preach to the choir or beat a dead horse, but we just know 15 passenger vans are um, a no-no. Uh, and then also one of the other types of losses that really contributed to the loss ratio for the North American division as a whole is hiring unqualified individuals. That is hiring Hunter to do your roofing work and I have, and I have no clue how to do that or I'm just a, a handyman. Um, I don't have any of my own personal insurance. So if I get injured, the church ends up being held liable. Um, I get it. I completely understand. You know, um, that's, that's a lot of times that's how the church has grown is by doing volunteer work. So excellent question. So this is actually not something that I have um, in this particular presentation, but for volunteers, we do have on our um, website volunteer labor insurance coverage. I know for a fact Michigan Conference, usually if you reach out to the conference, say, hey, we're doing such and such activity, we have volunteers doing some type of labor. We can go ahead, fill out that application for the set dates, and that provides coverage for those volunteers um, as opposed to if they were actual contractor who has to have and maintain their own personal insurance okay um yeah any other questions so far pretty good straightforward all right so the the three primary risk financing or insurance uh, policies and lines of business that i want to focus on today is the property the general liability I mentioned auto, but I don't actually have any slides on auto in here. Actually, I have more on cyber liability. Um, but the risk financing, uh, the risk financing or the property line of business primarily provides protection from fire, smoke, explosion, windstorm, lightning, ice and sleet, hail, sprinkler, leakage, vandalism, theft, burglary, and a lot of times uh, water damage. Um, these are just some of, to name a few, there may be other instances where you have a, a, a question about whether or not the property is protected. One thing that I, I wanna sing praises about ARM, and it's not just because I work for them, but in, in contrast to other carriers, a lot of times, in an effort, because it is our ministry to protect your ministry, and a lot of times we look for reasons to pay um, for different losses as opposed to trying to find ways how we can get out of that and not pay, which um, I can assure you either if you don't have a story your, your, yourself, you know someone who has experience with insurance companies that uh, you, you, you've paid all this premium over the years or the months, and next thing you know, they don't want to pay. So every year, um, I don't know if this is actually sent out to the individual churches here in Michigan Conference, but if it is, 
essentially what this here is is the the um, statement of value the statement of value is found um, within the policy and each individual church has their statement of value on the property side sure quick question yes schools as well so schools as well also have statement of values on the policy and so this essentially is what it looks like uh, you have your description which your description and, and address is, is almost synonymous so you have your um, city and state and the name of the church zip code and all of that um, you have your pc which is protection class which essentially boils down to the distance you are from the nearest water source being fire hydrant or well i probably shouldn't say water source but um fire protection so if the nearest fire hydrant is just outside your building or if the nearest um, fire station is less than a mile away, then you are typically rated at a much greater rate. So it goes from one to nine, uh, nine being obviously the farther away. So those that are more secluded, um, you have your construction type. So you, it, it's, it depends on the building. Sometimes it's frame, sometimes it's joisted masonry, sometimes, um, it can be it can be a number of different things that also boils down to uh, the actual construction of the building. But the elements of this that I really want to focus on and um, is your square footage. I already talked about address, but address is very important as well. I've had some instances where addresses have been incorrect when it comes to submitting a claim. So those are some things uh, like an instance, you build a new church. Do, did we verify that we have the new address on the policy or do we still have the old address? Can, did we verify that we have the appropriate limits for the new building or do we still have all the old elements as well? Um, square footage is important for your rating as well, just to confirm that that's what, a lot of times that's heavily what you're being rated on. Um, as, as well as your building and business personal property so the building obviously is um, the building <laughs> the building is the building itself for this instance you have uh, your coverage limit is six hundred thirty nine thousand one hundred dollars at a condition slash valuation of replacement costs replacement costs ultimately boils um, is replacing with like kind and quality okay to be completely transparent, um, if you had a completely complete and total loss with replacement costs, usually how that claim is, there there is some monies that is paid up front to for to allow you to get the work done, um, and in some instances, um, uh, initially it may not be this total six hundred and thirty nine thousand but there is what we call recoverable depreciation. So if you've, if you've, you know, we've sent you 500,000 to do the work you started, you say, hey, IRM, no, it actually took us that additional 139,000 to, to get the building completely um, built with like kind and quality. That is something that you can reach out and say, hey, it's done. Can we get our 139,000 as well to recover for the expenses that we've that we've um, put into this building 
that is what replacement cost is. If you change this valuation to anything outside of that, that's not how it's going to work at all. Um, there are valuations of agreed max. So that is, uh, in this instance, if you said you had a green max of 639,000, that's what you're going to get point blank period agreed max actual cash value operates similar to replacement costs. So, um, it would be pretty much that 500,000 that I mentioned without the recoverable depreciation. So, and then, um, does that make sense? We're good to go on that one. And then we have the, the business personal property or formerly known as content. That's if you could visualize a building, flipping it upside down, everything that falls down like a coin pretty much is contents. Okay. Um, that's the easiest way to remember that. Um, cause if you ever, you have, well, our pews contents, well, if the pews are, are nailed down to the ground and they're not movable, then they're considered a part of the building is the carpet contents. I mean, that comes up, that's removable, but if it's glued down to the building, it's considered a part of the building. Okay. And then we have uh, one other thing before I switch slides that I want to touch on is the building ordinance or law. So what that means is you have an older builder, older building and um, you've had a loss. And in the event, wh while you've had that loss, if I can, I'll just use your, your church as an example. So you had electrical fires, an older building caught on fire. And let's say, do you know offhand, when was your church built? The original. Uh, I have it here. It was in the 1800s. 1800s. Okay. So a lot has changed. Yeah. So a lot. Ha so th that's actually a great example. So a lot has changed uh, since the 1800s. I don't know if you, the original building was pretty much the same. But what that means is uh, from the 1800s till now in, in the early 2000s, there has been some changes uh in certain jurisdictions in terms of fire codes, having sprinkler systems. And 1872. 1872. Wow. <laughs> um, so there's been a lot of updates there, though. So fire suppressants, all of that. Um, so what happens is if you have a loss, cover cause of loss, and you are aware that there are some upgrades that you needed to make to your building to bring it up to current code, based off of um, whether it's fire suppressant or anything like that, there is an additional 10% uh, of your building value. So this is actually 10% of the building value that's offered to help offset those costs for upgrades and bringing everything up to code as well. Okay. Again, building ordinance and law is only, it, it's not an additional premium generating coverage, but it is something that's only falls under replacement costs. If you don't have replacement costs, you lose out on that um, additional coverage from building building ordinance or law. Make sense? Good to go. Um, last but not least is the equipment breakdown. Equipment breakdown is a blanket coverage again, um, and it covers 
boilers, HVAC systems, heating systems, um, sometimes telephone systems, you have any issues, uh, not wear and tear, but um, you have any issues with those and they, they end up being a covered cause of loss as well, there's equipment breakdown to provide you coverage and protection there. Um, one thing that I did want to touch on, and I, I already briefly mentioned what replacement cost is, but there is a difference between replacement costs and, and, and market value. Um, a, a, a huge. Um, I think I have had that conversation with people more often than any other thing. Um, you know, why is the insurance so much? Why is our building listed at, you know, $1.3 million at replacement costs when you know, we can go out here and buy another building for 600000 You probably can go out there and buy a building at market value for that 600000 But given the construction type of your building, the square footage of your building, maybe the stained glass windows, all of that, it's going to take way more than what it would cost in the market to actually replace that. When you talk about building materials, contractors market, all of that is heavily dependent and feeds into that replacement cost. As opposed to the market value, you find something on Long and Foster, Redfin, whatever. What you see is basically what you pay for it. Okay, you guys, good to go on that one. All right. Um, I think I'm moving forward out of the property. If there's any questions on property, I think I'll just keep on rolling. Good. All right, so general liability. Uh, general liability is a third-party coverage. It really, it pretty much um, it provides tech protection for your organization's mission for financial impacts of liability resulting from your organization's activities, um, and or in some instances, your organization's negligence. Um, so what it, what does that actually look like? Well, liability covers physical injury to a person damage to another person's property or personal or advertising injury. That means if I am standing up in front of the church and talking bad about John, he can actually go ahead and file a claim and say, hey, pastor was up there talking bad about me, making all these uh, accusations and claims that are not true. Um, that's defamation, invasion of privacy, misappropriation of, another, of another's copyright or trademark. All of these are coverages, damage coverages that uh, fall under the general liability. Um, so again, as I mentioned, a lot of times it, it's, uh, I didn't realize I had animations in there. <laughs> um, it's about negligence. So failure to exercise the proper degree or care of a prudent or wise person. Uh, earlier this week, I gave an example of having a loose handrail in the church. It's probably one of the, the, the most used analogies with ARM, but having a loose uh, handrail, if Dane and if, if every Sabbath or prayer meeting or whenever we enter the church, everyone's aware of the loose handrail and no one does anything to fix it until someone gets hurt, there's, there's negligence there. And that injury is on the fault of the church in that instance. Um, there are some instances where claims come through and the church wasn't negligent. Had a, had a claim from a conference where a lady was fasting on her own accord, had nothing to do with the church. She 
had ended up becoming so hungry that she ended up passing out and hitting her head on one of the pews. Um, she did injure herself, but it wasn't, and I don't want to sound evil in any way, but it, it wasn't the church's fault. It wasn't the church's fault. Um, and, and so there's a, there's a difference there. Needless to say, that claim, uh, I, I believe, actually was still paid uh, because, again, we try, if claims are submitted, there, there are some claims out there, it's called premises medical, where it's, it's more of a, I try not to advertise it, but, it, but it's, it is there to help in the event of someone getting injured on the church property, and they may not be able to afford certain medical bills or anything like that, and there's no fault of the church, it's just simply wanting to uh, help out. Um, okay, that's that's really general liability in a nutshell. I have a sure. question on the liability part. Sure. Uh, we had a, we was having a special meeting where we invited the public in, and uh, we didn't have enough seating, so we borrowed chairs from everybody, you know. Okay. But some of these chairs were not real adequate chairs. And this great big lady came in, she picked one of the tiniest little chairs, and it barely slowed her down when she sat down. Oh, jeez. The good news is, a couple of people helped her up, and she was not hurt. Okay. <laughs> but if she had been hurt, would that be a covered thing? It, it would be covered. Um, it, those chairs belong to the church or didn't belong they to belong the church? belong to our sister church. A sister church. It's still, well, despite who, it, it would still be covered. That instance, if she had been hurt, it still would be covered. Um, yeah, exactly. It's it's on the church property. The church provided the, the the seating, as John mentioned. And if she had been injured on the property, then yes, it still would have been covered. Um, there's. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I tell you guys, I have seen some amazing ones. I had, if I will, I'll share this one. It's one of my favorites because it's just comical to say the least. Lady, she was at a church. She had um, slipped. She had slipped down the steps, but she was she was okay. She was all right. She did land on the floor, but she wasn't injured. And so she asked someone, "Hey, take a picture of me. Take a picture of me, because you know I fell down the steps. I want, I'm going to submit a claim." No one took a picture of her. She got up, went to go get her own phone, comes back, proceeds to lay back down on the ground and say, all right, take a picture of me now. Oh, dear. <laughs> she had money. Oh, man, she had money on her mind, to say the least. Um, <laughs> that claim did not get processed. But it just goes to show, you know, we live... Some areas, more so than others, are very litigious, and people will do anything, surprisingly, to get paid, even if it require, even if it involves them suing the church. Um. Anyway, any other questions? Gone through property, gone through journal liability. We're good to go. All right.
So those are the primary lines of business that we deal with. Um, one of them that I did not include, and it's not, and it's not because I don't think it's important, but it's something that is not um, used as much at the local church level, and that's the employment practices. So that's kind of the sexual misconduct and things of that nature. It does get used at the, the um, local church level if you have sexual misconduct with the pastor or a child or even children and children, the way that the policy operates, it still provides coverage for instances such as those. Um, in the interest of privacy, I don't share that information, um, but we know, we all know it happens. Um, so moving forward, I wanna talk a little bit about the claims process. So you, now you have a little bit of, I don't know if it's a better understanding you had, or just a, um, a refresher in terms of what property covers um, and what general liability covers. So what happens when you go about submitting a claim? So one thing that I try to emphasize is that sometimes there is a bit of a lag time. For some policy, for, for some claims, there it's understandable. Bouncing back to those EPL claims, somebody may not report that something happened to them until years later. That's completely understandable why there would be some lag time there. Um, but when it comes to property claims, um, time is of the essence. Report it as soon as possible. But pretty much lag time is is the the that that time in between when the loss actually happened and when it was actually reported. Um, and the reason why I bring this up is the longer you wait to report a claim and process it, the more expensive it can be. Um, I know that that might not be of grave concern for churches up front because, hey, it's not money personally out of our pocket, but it does ultimately affect the uh, increase in the future of the policy and it also affects those um, loss ratios for us as a collective as I mentioned earlier. So it's important to report the claims as soon as possible. Check your property regularly after storms, take photos, and the form is available online. Um, if you don't have the form, one other thing that you can do, and I hope I was smart enough to put it in here, I don't think I did, there's a phone number that you can call. If you don't have the form right then and there, you can call our 800 number, it's 24 seven. Um, it's on our website. So you can call, say, hey, you know, I think we have a claim. I don't have the paperwork in front of me now. I'll take a couple pictures with my phone, but as soon as I get uh, to a computer or anything like that, thanks for joining us. Um, as soon as I get to a computer or anything like that, I'll definitely get that information over to you. So what does this look like in terms of lag time? So um, just to give you an example, I just used, um, I'll say a no-name conference for now. Um, the orange bars represent the average lag time. And the gray bars, which are not as easily viewed, are the number of claims. So to give you an example, an ice slash snow, the, there were seven claims in this instance and the average lag time was just over three months. 
that sound reasonable? Not far fetched. And it and I and I agree with you. I completely agree with you. It in it, it's it's dependent state by state because I imagine Michigan and your your uh, New England states and anything pretty much this far up north, you can have snow for three months just sitting around. So it's kind of hard to gauge whether or not you have damage or anything like that. Um, frozen pipes again almost the same three months but here one thing that i do draw the attention to is a fire there were four claims of a fire but it took 45 days on average to report you would think you would think i mean if a fire broke out right now the three of us would definitely have a story to tell we're telling somebody now it does, but again, this is from just from the time that it happened to the time that it was actually reported. Mm -hmm. So actually reporting. Yeah. So, and then again, it does become um, a lot more expensive. So, I, I the reason why again the reason why I bring this up is because it can be more costly, and it's our goal to make sure that these claims are responded to as quickly as possible. Get you the funds to get you back to where. You were before the claim happened. Uh, I did put it there. Exactly, exactly. So, and I'm glad you bring that up because there we we definitely encourage um, all of our churches to take. You have a duty to protect the building. So, if you have uh, a hole in the roof, something like that, you find the, the biggest tarp you can find, cover it up until you're able to do something different about it. Um, so to, to prevent further damage to whether the interior of the building or the, the rest of the roof. Um, so I do have this here, as I mentioned, the claim reporting. Um, emphasize, do not wait to file your claim. You do have a duty to protect and to report claims and accidents immediately. So the, the 800 number is there, 888-951-4276. All you have to do is press two. And if you have a claim to report, you can do it that way, uh, at least to start off. And then again, there's a claims form. I know sometimes there is um, concern about that one. So there's, there's actually a claim form for property. There is a claim, there are two different claims forms for general liability. Um, and so if you're not completely sure which form it is, you can always reach out to me and I can uh, help you, assist you through that process, or even contact our claims department and they'll let you know. So that's one number that I encourage to always save, whether it's in your phone or somewhere easily spotted, um, that you have that there. Do you have cards with it on or anything? I... Don't have any cards with it on it, but I have my card if you needed to call me. I can go back so you can write it down. All right. Um, I would like to take a moment to talk about okay, contracts and certificates. So the biggest thing is taking a stance that protects the organization that you represent. Um, when it comes to contracts, 
I'll give you, a, I'll, again, I'll give you a story. I uh, had a church member call me and say, hey, there is, we are contracting with someone to do work for us. And they're requesting that we provide them with proof of, of insurance. How does that sound? It does sound a little strange. Why might that sound kind of strange? If someone is coming to do work for you, but they're asking you for proof of insurance. Means they're not licensed or insured. Absolutely. All of this comes full circle. This goes back to hiring unqualified individuals. Um, and then making sure that you're reading the fine lines in, the, in those contracts and confirming, hey, um, you know, sorry, I drew a blank there. Um, making sure that everything in there is, is, is confirmed. You know, you, you, they have, they provided you with proof of their insurance for both their employees and all the work that they're doing. Um, they have their contractors liability in place. Um, Another one is organizations that want to use your facility should have appropriate levels of insurance and can show proof of insurance. So you have a non-denominational organization that wants to rent maybe your fellowship hall or something like that, making sure that there's contract in place confirming that, hey, you know, if any of your church members are injured on our property, but as a result of your activities, that our, our policy is not gonna be the one to respond. You have insurance in place to cover those uh, incidences. Um, however, on the flip side, in the event of your church wanting to rent or use someone's um, organization, we have certificates of liability that we can provide you. Uh, one thing that I haven't mentioned is I work with a gentleman who's back at the head office. His name is David Machado, and he actually helps assist with all of Lake Union. Um, and so if ever you're having an event that requires you to show proof of insurance, we can do that. We can provide you with what is called a certificate of insurance, and it's just as simple as that. Um, so making sure that on both sides of the fence, everything is squared away. You have your insurance in place. Other contractors, they have their insurance in place as well. Um, last but not least, um, I wanted to briefly touch on cyber risk and cyber, cyber risk um, liability. Believe it or not, local churches do face cyber risk. A lot of times they are probably one of the hot spots because they're a small organization. They might not have, you know, your chief information or uh, officer who's holding down the fort and making sure that everything's squared away. They got your firewalls up. You got your most up-to-date Norton security, all of that. Um, but hackers love going after small organizations, and in particular, religious organizations. But that's not the only organizations they go after. We've heard, even in the news, they've gone after big businesses, Best Buy, your Home Depot, um, as most recently Marriott. Um, 
and a lot of information ends up being compromised and stolen and sold on the black market. And so um, it's difficult and it is a challenge to be prepared to mitigate those losses. But a lot of times, some of those losses are just a matter of making sure of three key components, and that's your people, your hardware, and your processes. People, a lot of times, they may um, leave their computers unlocked or open, easily accessible. That's one easy way of just accessing all of that, making sure that the hardware is most up to date. Um, and the process, having just different processes in place, such as changing your password every uh, quarter or three months or something like that. Um, I do have a video, but I'm not 100% sure where the sound is going to come from and if you'll even be able to hear it. I'm going to forego that. If you're interested in watching the video, however, if you go to YouTube and type in Adventist Risk Management, we have a ton of videos there that you can watch and one of those is on cyber cyber risk liability this media was brought to you by audioverse a website dedicated to spreading god's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons please visit www.audioverse.org <laughs>